Welcome to the EchoCast. I am Bond Diesel. This is episode 57. The EchoCast is a Division and Division 2 podcast based on talking about the news, speculating a bit, and then a smattering of my opinions, for better or for worse. If you're new, welcome. I hope you enjoy. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you. Uh, let's uh, let's jump in. So today we will talk about the state of the game summary, uh, some Division Two news from this week, a little bit of story and lore speculation, and uh, a few listener questions at the end. If you want to support this podcast and my other content, you can do it via Patreon. You can check out the EchoCast on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/TheEchoCast. Right now, through the end of May, anyone who becomes a patron will get three free stickers mailed to them. Uh, it's a Bond Diesel, the Echo Cast, and a Division Two Hub sticker. So check it out if you want. If not, it's all good. Okay, so let's jump into the state of the game recap. Uh, this week we had Hamish and Rasmus, uh, mostly talking about some gameplay changes uh, coming and specifically uh, recalibration changes. Uh, Rasmus, uh, recalibration, uh, crafting, that kind of thing was um, kind of his deal. So uh, in the PTS, uh, there's ongoing um, you know, changes happening. Uh, and people from all parts of the game are checking it out. They talked a bit about how the PTS uh, is looked at by the devs and how they use it. Um, the big thing I picked up from it was that it obviously affects changes now, but it also affects changes in the long run because not everything they find can necessarily be um, fixed. You know, by the next patch, there may be things they identify for later. So. Um, then they talked <clears throat> a bit about um, clarifying how uh, drops will happen, uh, you know, at least in the PTS and probably in the final patch, about how you won't get so many drops um, below your current average. I know um, I'm, I'm at level 500 on my main farming build, and I'm getting drops that are like 490 and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't mind as much. I, the RNG is fine to me, um, but I understand why it's such a big departure from the last game. Um, and it's just annoying for people who don't have that much time to farm. So it looks like they're planning on making pretty much all drops your level or above. Um, they did talk about how um, the high-end gear will now max out at 515, um, and the superior gear, uh, gear will max out at 490. Uh, the purple gear you know, can't go above 490. Um, they do still want the purple gear to be useful. Um, mostly because it can drop higher stat rolls because it has fewer of them. Uh, so the purple gear should still be useful to in-game people uh, to, to pull over for recalibration, which is what they talked about after that, um, which is, uh, you know, now there's going to be um, a recalibration score for each piece. So instead of having these hard caps like we currently have in the recalibration, you're now going to have like, so the way it seems like it's going to work is that if you have, um, a piece of gear that has like a few decent stat rolls on it and you move like a god roll to it you'll be able to move the whole god roll over now there's still going to be a cap because of this recalibration score so 
say you have a piece that already has like a perfect roll on like weapon damage if you try to move like a perfect skill power roll over um the fact that the first piece already has like a perfect weapon uh, damage roll that recalibration score is going to be high already i think this is how it's going to work so then if you try to move another god roll uh, over to that first piece it won't move at all because it's going to run out of recalibration score so I like the system. I think it's going to keep people from having these like hilariously OP pieces, um, but it still will reward, you know, moving stuff over and, and using that system. So um, Hamish pointed out that uh, the, the 515 gear score will not be uh, the gear um, that has 515 uh, will not be exclusive to the DZ, but did not clarify um, where else it will drop. So, you know, over the last week, there was a lot of discussion. Um, it was, you know, joy and happiness by the DZ people who are happy to have a reason to go into the DZ. Uh, not so much excitement from people who don't want to DZ. And um, it's, it, I think everyone kind of predicted this. I don't think anyone really thought that you would only get 515 gear from the DZ. Um, I suspect, and this is only me guessing, but we'll also get it from uh, probably heroic missions, definitely from the raid. Um, I doubt we'll get it from like level four control points, but maybe. Um, the thing is, though, is that like I saw some people proposing that, well, only the raid should drop 515 gear uh, because there's not as much risk in PvE and... The problem is, is that uh, that makes the DZ the really the only useful place to go get it because while the DZ definitely has the risk of being killed by other players, um, that loop of you know looting, you know extracting all of that, um, for the most part, you would be able to to grind ten times the gear more than likely from the DZ than you would the raid, um, and unless and you know I don't know exact drop numbers and all that, but for the most part um in the dz you can either avoid people and get out or just keep going around trying to find a server that doesn't have many people in it um, and or just you know find a group of four that you want to extract with and you'll probably be able to farm 515 gear pretty efficiently uh, but maybe i don't know so i think it's good that they clarified that it's going to be a more than one spot i do hope that they make it relatively exclusive though um, they did say uh, that they uh, the gear and skill mods will have a similar power. Um, they currently have power uh, similar power distribution, um, and they and they want people to prefer high end mods. This was kind of on the subject of the blue mods having like way better stats than purple and high end. Um, but they 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 do want the high end to obviously be preferred. Um, they do want the superior mods, the purple ones, to have a use. But they kind of said it without saying it that they really didn't intend for like blue level mods to be like the best ones to use. So I suspect we'll see some changes with that. Uh, they did mention a really big change um, in that the skill mods will have a battery skill mod now. Uh, so say your turret has uh, three mod slots. Um, right now you put in like a damage mod slot, a cooldown reduction, and a... Um, I don't know, uh, an ammo one, so it can shoot for longer before it has to reload, uh, something like that. Well, now you'll be able to drop um, a battery mod into one of those slots, so you'll lose one of your ability you know, slots, but what you will gain is pure skill power for that skill. 
So say you're running a build that has zero skill power, but you want to be able to run some really, you know, a couple really low level mods on one of your skills. You can drop a battery into it, which gives that skill skill power on its own. And then you can, you know, have a couple low level skill mods that will work on the skill. Um, I like this because it basically means that you, um, can have some more usefulness out of your skills, uh, but it doesn't look like it's going to be like, you won't be able to unlock the, the best skill mods with just using these batteries. I suspect you can only use one battery per skill. Um, and even if you can use two on most of the skills, um, that will leave one spot open. So you can get like one really good skill mod unlocked. Um, and that's it. So I think it's going to, you know, make skills more viable, more interesting to use. Um, I hope it doesn't get abused in any way, but hopefully people are testing that out in the PTS. Um, they talked about how the crafting NPC will now be a vendor for mod blueprints um, and for other blueprints. Um, it, I really like this new system. Um, so we'll still have blueprints dropping from weekly projects and control points, um, but you will be able to purchase them as well from uh, Anaya, I think is the mod is the, uh, the crafting uh, person specialist uh, who will now be a uh, a vendor. So I think that's going to be good overall. Um, you can still get uh, mods from the control points and from uh, projects, uh, but you know she'll be a, a, another source for those. Uh, at the end, they kind of dropped a few extra things about how like the weapon ammo drops are being looked at and improved. Um, Rasmus dropped a few extra little details at the end talking about how uh, gray material limits will be raised. The hardwired gear set will now craft at a higher gear score. I think like uh, 480 and up or something. He said something along those lines where now it can craft as low as 450. So you've you've grinded for all of those pieces and then you, you craft them and, and it's like world tier 4 stuff. So uh, you know, hopefully you know, that gets fixed up. Uh, and then uh, that weapons will sort automatically in the recalibration station now. So instead of having, uh, you know, kind of a smattering of stuff, uh, now we'll have that. So uh, that was state of the game. Uh, I thought it was informative. I, you know, I, I get that not everyone is always completely satisfied with the information we get. They, you know, at, at the end of the day, no matter how much info they gave us, there'd be a population of people who would want more. Um, but I think that, uh, they, have been good. I, I've, I saw some complaints. If you don't know on my Twitter, I do a live tweet of the state of the game every week. Uh, I take my lunch at work and I watch it and eat and, uh, you know, tweet stuff out that they're talking about. And, um, I got a reply on there from someone who said, you know, this is what's wrong with state of the game. It ignores all of the issues with the game and just talks about what they want to talk about. Um, I, I don't, I think maybe that's a misunderstanding of what state of the game is to me. I mean, I've been watching it for a couple of years now and, um, you know, when they'll bring up issues like in the community when it's necessary, but for the most part, I think it's smart for them to just pick the topics that seem to be popular, talk about how they're trying to work on them, acknowledge them, um, but not sit and just go through every single little issue people are complaining about and talking about. Uh, it's, it's state of the game, not state of the community. So, uh, I, I think it's ignorant to assume that they don't recognize a lot of the issues with the game. Um, I, I think that they hear us loud and clear for better or worse. Uh, but I think that it's okay for each day of the game to more focus on specific things. I mean, we are getting these opportunities, um, to have these devs come on and stuff like that and talk about it. Um, you know, just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean it's like bad information, but you know, that's just my opinion. 
Okay, so division news. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the PTS phase two, uh, Twitch viewer base dropping, and raid date speculation. So, a PTS phase two, they specified some areas. Um, uh, they just released the update. I believe it was on Thursday or Friday. I think it was Thursday. Maybe it was Wednesday. I don't know. Um, so they specified with recalibration, they want people to test out the new system and compare it to the old one. With the Reviver Hive, they want people to test out its reliability and see if they're still having issues with it. Uh, with getting stuck just on like random stuff in the world and stuff like that, uh, they they want people to you know test it out and if they find places where they're still getting stuck, um, to take screenshots or videos and post it to the forums. With control points, uh, they want people to uh, test the adjusted difficulty of the control points, uh, specifically at the level three and four. Um, with missions, they want people to test out like the difficulty and sponginess of the enemies, uh, but they did specify that like the heroic level of the invaded missions is meant to be really challenging. It's not supposed to be as easy as like a normal, hard, even challenging level mission. There's a ton of specific changes that they put out there. Um, I'm looking at them now. Um, I don't really want to go through every single one of them. Uh, I highly encourage you guys to check out. Uh, I believe the official forums has them listed out. And uh, the the Tom Clancy-thedivision.ubisoft.com, the main website, has it under the news and video section. I mean, there's a ton of stuff here. Um, the big thing is to look at the specific talent and weapon talent uh, changes they're making. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing, wow, I don't know what that sound was. I'm sorry. Um, there's a bunch of changes that specify PVE and PVP. I know there's been a lot of discussion on whether or not that's possible because they said it was before the game came out. Um, so I would look at those and I suspect they kind of wanted to release with everything being the same and then adjust as needed. And I'm seeing here four, five, six different talents, just talents that are being changed. We know from the stay of the game last week that there's even like damage modifiers that are going to be different and stuff like that as well. So, you know, I suggest checking it out. And if you're in the PTS, I highly suggest testing those changes. Um, but yeah, for the specifics, I mean, I didn't really see anything that I really wanted to throw out there. Um, the actually, I, I don't remember them talking about this. The TAC 50 now has two do uh, two different zoom states. Uh, hopefully one of those is like eight X and the other ones like the 15 X, uh, I, I get why there's a 15x scope on the TAC-50 because it's cool and it's gigantic and it's probably what it really has. Um, but for this game and the engagement distances that you're normally dealing with, that 15x scope is is a bit much. So maybe like, I, I would even say like a 6x and like a 12x would be plenty, but what do I know? Um, and then like the conflict changes, the PVP changes, dark zone changes. Uh, you know, people got to test them out. So if you're on PC, you can get into the PTS for free. And I, uh, I highly suggest doing it and checking it out. Even if you just go in and look at these lists of changes and test them out, uh, that's a big help to the community. Uh, if you do test those things out, you find anything, be sure to post it to the official forums. Um, you know, you can post stuff on Reddit and YouTube and Twitter, uh, it may get noticed, but it may not as well. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the times that stuff gets posted to social media, but not to the forums, it kind of makes me uh, curious about um, how seriously people want things to be fixed. Uh, and maybe they, you know, aren't as worried about that and maybe a little bit more worried about being noticed, but who knows? Um, I saw some comments this week about the Twitch viewer base dropping, uh, 
you know, and the argument is, is that, you know, uh, that, that since the PVP is bad, it's mostly people playing PVE. Therefore, you know, the viewer base drops because people don't like to watch PVE. So there may be some credence to that, but what I would say is from my experience as someone who I consider a fairly normal Twitch viewer, um, I watch lots of different streamers, mostly bigger ones, to be totally honest. And I watch like Shroud because he's really good at the games he plays, I guess. I mean, he is, but that's not necessarily why I watch him. I think he's kind of funny. I like his personality. Um, you know, I enjoy watching him for a lot of reasons. Now, obviously, there's no one in the division community who's as big as Shroud. So it's hard to compare, you know, apples to oranges. But my whole thing is that I've seen plenty of PvE streamers with other games and division who are just as interesting, if not more so, than the average PvP streamer. Um, you know, you can have someone who's really good at PvP, someone like Wids and stuff like that, that. They're genuinely fun to watch because they're just talented. They're just good. But I also think that you can have someone who streams PVE content, um, who's engaging the community a lot, has interesting things, is maybe funny, has a unique way of presenting information in their stream. Um, at the end of the day, what I'm getting at is that a PVP and a PVE streamer can both be equally boring. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, especially in Division One, I, I know you know the PVP in Division One to me became just as repetitive as anything in the PVE side of the game at the end of the day uh definitely a little more variety i'll give it that but at the end of the day you know one pvp fight next to the, the next one didn't look that much different and so i think you know it depends on what people are there for it depends on what you know the streamer is bringing to the table and i really don't think that we should necessarily blame you know, the PVP maybe not being ideal right now for the complete, you know, for some drop off in the viewer base, which has dropped quite a bit. I think it's only averaging like 4,000 viewers a day, um, which, you know, isn't awful, but still isn't great for a game that just came out. Um, but at the same time, with all of the looter shooter games, they seem to kind of die off a little bit between updates. So, you know. And if you look at the the list of viewership on Twitch and so on, is it tends to be high level strategy games and BRs. Um, I honestly, I just don't think Division Two really presents either of those things. Um, obviously, you've got games like Counter Strike and stuff like that. Uh, even I think Destiny Two is still kind of creeping up there a little bit. Uh, Warframe used to dominate the the viewership, uh, and it was strictly PVE. They just gave up on their PVP. Now, that was probably uh, a little bit due to some, I think, a little bit shady things they're doing with streams, but uh, with with uh, drops and stuff. But what I will say, my last point about the viewer base thing is I think the only real chance for Division 2 to really have like a consistently high viewer base uh, for an extended amount of time um, is going to be if they bring out some type of survival mode um, that is more BR-ish than the first game was. Not completely. I think they need to stick with a lot of what survival did right. Um, but I see a lot of people talk about survival and how they need to bring it back. And I even get some feeling that people want it to be exactly the same as the first game. Um, and I think that's a huge mistake because while I know a lot of us, including myself, really enjoyed survival in the first game, um, there's absolutely zero denying that it had a tiny little player base. Uh, and it was definitely fun to watch in a lot of streams uh, for a while. It got kind of boring once 
you know, in like 2018, everyone acted like it had just come out and that no one had ever played survival before. It was kind of funny, but, um, it, you know, it, it needs to be a more dynamic experience and, and more interesting simply in the, in the case of, you know, streaming and stuff like that from a player perspective, I think it needs to be better than the first game was as well, but that's a whole different discussion. Uh, then the final bit here, um, a raid date. So we don't have a hard date on um, when the raid is going to drop now since it's been delayed. Um, I've heard speculation of May 16th, but at the end of the day, I actually don't think it's probably even finalized at this point. Um, we just got phase two of the PTS. Uh, I suspect they'll test that for at least a week. And then they'll need to make like final changes. Um, I don't know if they will you know, take PTS phase two see those changes, see how they work, and then make final changes and then release the patch. I don't know if they'll do a whole nother week of PTS to change, to test the final changes. You know, who knows? Um, I will say that I really, really hope that the patch drops like a week or maybe even more before they actually drop the raid. Because if they make all these changes and they drop the patch and the raid on the exact same day at the exact same time, you're going to have this raid drop and you're going to have a ton of people with builds that have completely crapped themselves because all the changes, you know, people are going to need a week or two at least to make changes to their builds, to refarm for new gear, to kind of get their builds back in order. Um, at least that's my opinion. I, I hope that's how they handle it. And uh, yeah, there's the division news for this week. So next we roll into the super smooth transition of mid roll time. Okie dokie. So now we have, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a topic, uh, communities, uh, discussion and stuff like that. Um, so I want to do just a, some quick story speculations. Um, if you check out my YouTube page, it's just Bond Diesel on YouTube. Um, I have a, a series I did in division one that I'm kind of bringing back for division two called Intel insights. And, uh, this week I did one, uh, with all of the black tusk recordings that you find around the game. And the very last recording is basically uh, the Black Tusk talking about how whoever's paying them, whoever is in charge. Um, so what people need to realize about the Black Tusk is that they're a PMC, a private military company. Um, so the things they're doing in D.C. and on the East Coast uh, and, and in the East, I guess, um, it's not like their personal prerogative. So like the LMB in the first game was also a PMC, a private military group. But what happened with them is that they were assigned to wall street to protect all the assets there. Once everything completely hit the, the fan, they uh, bliss basically said, Hey, you know, we're not LMB anymore. Really? We're not we're not doing what the LMB wants anymore. We need to survive on our own and we need to take over. You know, we can become the top dogs here. Uh, and that, that was the, so they, they assigned their own desires for what they were doing in New York city. The black tusk appears to be just a really well-funded group, uh, a really well-funded PMC, which I suspect is actually the remnants of the LMB, but don't hold me to that. Or not the remnants, the the majority that that the LMB became uh, Black Tusk, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, but that they aren't doing this stuff on their own prerogative; they're doing it because someone is paying them tons of money to do it, and probably promising them power and influence and all that stuff. 
And what you find at the end of the recordings of the Black Tusk stuff is that um, there may be some wavering there. There's some heavy hinting that uh, that they may even try to to work on the same side as the Shade Agents, um, as, as the Division. So I'm definitely curious to see how that goes in the long run. Um, it, they they don't seem as idealistic as the LMB was and stuff like that. Um, it seems like they are. Uh, up to the highest bidder, uh, as you could say. So we will have to see. Uh, the hunters are always going to be a topic of conversation. I, I've seen, you know, there's there's still speculation that people think that they're they're Russians or they're a foreign military unit. Um, there's people who think that they're being run by Keener, that they're first wave agents. Um, so my theory for a long time has been that they are a different like a branch of the division uh, as they're meant to be like an insurance for rogue agents or simply uh, maybe to be used to just get rid of agents in general. Um, At the end of the day, these agents all seem to have good intentions for the most part. But uh, when the crisis quote unquote ends, how do you take that power back away from them? Uh, I suspect it's going to be harder than you think. Because once you give people that amount of power, it's hard to give it up. So um, I still think that the hunters are some branch of the of the of the division, um, but that's a complete guess. Basically, the only reason I really believe that is because um, they just have similar tech as us, if not superior in a lot of ways, um, and that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, the the issue is is that the black tusk have essentially taken that role a little bit so it's made me start to question my own theory quite a bit um but i don't know i'm but i'm definitely interested i'm curious to see uh the hunters man it, the hunters are a thing where as much as i want to know a lot about them i i simply uh i hope that we never learn everything about them I hope that there isn't just some complete info drop or we now know the hunters 100% because the mystery around them is what makes them so interesting. I think we need some tidbits to keep them, you know, keep us curious. Um, but I hope that we never learn every single detail, uh, kind of in that same vein is we have the underground and the ambusher factions. Uh, if you don't know who they are, um, I'm sure you've seen at least yourself or even videos of like the chainsaw guy down in the sewers. Um, that is a underground faction. Uh, a lot of people think it's uh, the outcast. It's not. Um, if you let them kill you, if you let that, that guy or his friends kill you, it shows them as a whole separate faction called the underground. And their symbol is a chain. And if you kill these guys and you look at them, you'll notice that all of them have like chains all over them. I don't know if it's supposed to be armor or what it's, but it is what it is. There's another faction that is easy. The most, the easiest way to describe them is, uh, the guys with trash can lids who run at you, um, typically at night. Um, you also almost always see these guys at the beginning of, well, it's either these guys or, or the underground, um, at the beginning of the federal bunker, um, there, they seems like they're always down there, uh, and the ambusher faction, uh, they, they, they're most notably the guys with bows and trash can lids. 
Um, I've found that when I find these guys, a lot of times I, I get ambushed by them. Go figure. Uh, they have like a tripwire that they set up across like sidewalks and streets uh, at night. And so you'll get flashed and you won't be able to see it all. And then you'll have dudes with axes and trash can lids in your face. Um, if you let them kill you, you'll see that their faction is called the ambusher uh, or ambushers. And they're, I believe their symbol is like a, a guy with like a, like a handkerchief over his mouth and like a hat. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so I'm really curious to what they're going to do with these two factions. If you post it, uh, if you post about them on Twitter, um, the devs like Julian Garrity and stuff will be like, who, what's, what's an underground, what's an ambusher, what are you guys talking about? So I, I suspect my guess is that the third DLC, the final DLC of year one is going to involve these factions in some capacity. The only way that these factions are worked into the story is at the end of the uh, the Navy Hill secret mission, the lady that you find down in the bunker. Um, she gives you a secret mission, and at the end of the mission, you have to kill a, I think it's an underground boss, uh, underground faction boss, um, but they don't acknowledge them. Uh, there's none. Um, if you let the underground and the ambusher faction, if you let them kill you and read the little blurbs about them, because um, how the way you can look at the archetype details and stuff, um, it, it normally just says they're kind of funny. Normally, I think one is from Agent Kelso saying, you know, that you need to watch your kidneys when you're out at night because these ambushers will will take them from you or something. So, I, I I've seen people speculate that the underground and ambusher factions are like branches off of the outcast or something like that. I suspect there's something completely different. I I don't know if they are related themselves. Um, but I suspect that they're, they're supposed to be little hints uh, to maybe some stuff uh, in the third DLC. Because if you look at the, the release of the, you know, the, the media they've put out about the DLCs, the third one is supposed to be like wrapping up the year one story and preparing us for the year two story. And so, you know, the year two, I think it'd be a, that's a pretty good time to introduce two whole new factions um, and bring up, you know, all new strongholds, all new control points being taken by certain people and stuff like that. Um, I'm also curious to the DLC two is going to be at the Pentagon and there's been heavy hints that it will be an underground ish type of, uh, DLC. And so I'm wondering if these factions are going to have something to do with that as well, but you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and the little last little bit of speculation here, um, I still going back to the NYC after dark. So there's a side mission. Uh, it's one of these secret side missions that you get where you have to help these, um, art curators, uh, get some stuff and protect some stuff at a art museum. Uh, and the exhibit that was on display at this art museum is this, this exhibit called NYC after dark. And, um, what's so interesting about it is that it talks about a return to New York and it mentions, I believe January, it, it specifically talks about coming in January. Um, I think that's pretty significant. Uh, obviously that may just be, uh, you know, kind of a nod back to New York city. Um, but I think that's too convenient. I, I honestly think that that is, um, I, th I think that's too easy to be totally honest. I, I think that's, you know, I, I think it has to be a Easter egg or a, a wink, wink to, to content that's coming. So, uh, if you've heard me talk about it before, I'm sorry that you have to hear it again. But, uh, one of my big theories is that, uh, this is hinting to, um, 
some kind of return to New York City. And I think that if we get another survival mode, um, it actually could be placed back in New York City. Um, I think that's possible. What I really think is that the survival mode is going to be the first DLC that we get here in a couple months. And that it will be um, based in the northeast uh, region, uh, northeast of the current map. Um, if you look at the Phoenix Edition map, there's a paper map that came with the Phoenix Edition of the game. Um, up in the northeast of our current playable map, um, there's in red writing, there's uh, who will be the last or something written. So I think that's what's going to happen. Then I think that uh, the DLC, the third DLC, is maybe going to introduce some kind of like excursions. If you've seen um, Far Cry New Dawn, there's this system there where you can do these excursions to other parts of the country in, in Far Cry and collect supplies from other notable parts of the country. What I think is that there's going to be some type of system with that in the third DLC where we're gonna we're gonna go to like like contaminated zones around the, the, the Northeast or the East coast or whatever. Um, and I think one of those could be uh, New York city. Uh, what I also believe, and here's some spoilers from the book and the comic, if you haven't read them already. So skip like a minute or something uh, in the, in the book, in the comic, there's basically a, re a revelation that, uh, the Black Tusk are coming to D.C., but they've also gone to other major fuel depots uh, in the East Coast to take over all the fuel depots in a bunch of these cities uh, in order to basically win the war, to, to control the United States, because that those who have the fuel control everything. Um, and so I'm wondering if we're going to go on excursions to these locations that have these fuel depots and... Um, and well, and that's going to be that mechanic. And one of those places could be, uh, you know, like the southern tip of Manhattan. But I don't know. We'll have to see. It's fun to speculate on. Uh, next here, we'll have some listener questions. First, we had uh, Jotten Thrash 666. Uh, they ask, do you think the changes they're currently uh, doing to nerf NPCs are being dealt out too quickly uh, as to appease the quote unquote haters? Um, going to be a totally honest not a big fan of the phrase like haters <laughs> I, I don't think people complaining about the difficulty of the game or haters i think that they're just having trouble with the game um I, I don't know we'll have to see uh i once i made a damage to elites build i realized that the pve in this game is relatively easy um so i i don't i hope they don't nerf every you know the npcs too badly but I think more than anything, um, like player education might be a bigger part of the problem. I've seen people complain about uh, like content creators who make build videos and they ruin the game because they make everyone use the same builds. I think that's bullcrap. I think it's so hard to perfectly replicate someone's build that when people watch those videos, they make a build that's similar and then they, you know, and it helps them learn about the builds and how things work. And then they adjust them to their gear and to their own preferences. Um, so, I think that they could go too far with nerfing the NPCs, um, but I think they're trying to find a good happy balance. Uh, and I think on top of that, a really smart thing would be to do some like official videos or even change some things actually in the game and the UI and stuff that would help people who don't really understand like RPG mechanics very well um, to understand like, hey, you know, this, you know, this piece might be better for you because it will raise this stat that is useful or something. I don't know. I think that's a thing that would have to be designed hard coded into a game from the beginning. Uh, we obviously don't have that now. 
Um, and so I'm kind of curious to, uh, to how that would be. The alternative there may even be to have some system where um, there's like links in the game. Uh, maybe there's like a help section in the game where uh, they could work with some content creators, uh, big and small, uh, to make videos about like, you know, how to make a PVE build. So it doesn't tell people like, hey, you need this piece and that piece and the other, but instead it may say, hey, do you wanna play some PVE? You know, focus on damage to elites, uh, damage to armor, uh, you know, weapon damage stats, uh, some survivability stuff. Um, I think that could be just as useful. Uh, but no, we'll have to see, but no, I don't think that they're doing too much yet, but we'll have to see. Uh, Nitro comes in asking, what do you think of the loot pacing in division two? Um, feeling rewarded for the time spent. Um, are there times that you notice uh, the grind more than others? So I don't have any issues with how much loot we get. I think we get a ton, even from just running like open world. I feel like you can get a ton. Um, I feel like the drops are kind of weird. Um, I've noticed that I drop almost no assault rifles, um, and that may just be my RNG, or you know maybe there's something programmed in. Um, I I think it's rewarding in the quantity, um, but the quality may not be quite as much. Uh, then your second question is: Can a live service game have an end game? Um, so I, I mean, I think it can have an end game. I think that's been demonstrated multiple times, um, division destiny warframe, um, but an actual end to the game, uh, may be a different story. Um, and division, you know, the first game basically had no end to the story. It, it just kind of paused until, you know, three years for division two to come out. Um, and I kind of expect Division 2 to be the same way at the end of the day. I think that there's more story there, uh, but I don't expect it to miraculously wrap up uh, nice and tidy any story uh, leads or anything like that. So um, from an endgame like, you know, things to do as an endgame activity, grinding gear, optimizing builds, you know, completing challenging content, uh, definitely I think it can. When it comes to like wrapping a story up, um, I haven't really seen one do it well. I mean, I know Warframe is known for its really good storylines, but um, it's more like little episodes uh, that are really good and not really the overarching story ever gets really wrapped up because uh, the, then they can't keep making stuff for it. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I hope that answered the question. Uh, DB Conquest says, uh, if you can add another faction, what would they be? Uh, what would their background be and types of people who would join them? So um, one faction idea I had before Division 2 even came out is I was actually hoping the Hunters would become a type of faction on their own. Um, and by that, I mean, I was hoping that the Hunters would develop a, um, that there'd be like different types of Hunters. So there'd be like a, a tank Hunter that would have like a shield, um, that there'd be like a specific, I know there is a Sniper Hunter, uh, but but even more so, something even more specialized. Um, in fact, with the sniper hunter, my idea would that would use some type of ghost recon future soldier tech, um, where they could become like invisible until they shot. Uh, obviously, I'm sure people have mixed feelings on that type of thing, but um, so that was definitely one I really wanted to see. Um, and it would be a way for them to kind of lightly bring in more lore and story to the hunters without completely giving us everything. But, you know, I'm not expecting that at this point. Um, as for any other factions, um, I would say like, 
like a settlement gone bad. Um, because the outcasts aren't really that way because they're like angry, they're revenge, they're, they're payback for, you know, putting them on the quarantine island. So I wouldn't really, I would say that they're just more of like a revenge faction. Um, the, the true sons, you know, they're the, the former JTF people. So that that's their background. Uh, the hyenas are just kind of a ragtag group of, you know, gang leaders and stuff. They're all working together and are recruiting people to fight with them. So I still think that there's room in there for like, for like an angry civilian faction. And if anything, they could be a faction that is, you know, fairly reasonable in a lot of ways. Like, you know, they, they, they're just trying to take their piece of land. You know, they're, they're essentially like the campus and the theater, but they are, they don't want to work with anyone. Cause they, you know, I think the, um, uh, oh, what's the settlement off the top of my head? The castle settlement very well could end up, you know, it could be a really interesting one as a kind of like a rogue settlement where they're like, no, man, we, we asked you to protect us. You know, the other settlements didn't help us in our time of need. You know, we got wiped off the earth. Now we're taking this back and we're not going to be friendly with everyone. That could be a whole new stronghold. Maybe um, probably not. Like I recognize that's probably not going to be a thing, but um, and they're in the people who join them or people who, you know, don't want to join the crazy outcast. They don't want to join the, the scary hyenas and they aren't former JTF or military. So they can't join the, um, the true sons. So I don't know. I think that'd be kind of a neat one. Um, but there's also a reason I'm not a, a game writer and a creator because that's probably not really the most interesting idea ever, but thank you for the question. Uh, then the last one here from Hassan. Uh, after seeing the new patch notes for the PTS, do you think some of the stuff uh, as upgrading uh, Anaya to the vendor was planned from the beginning? Do you think that we will see other NPC being upgraded to different roles like Mandy um, now? Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's a that's a really good question. Um, yeah, I suspect the Anaya thing was planned from the beginning, definitely. Um, even her setup at the crafting station looks like a vendor. And I... And maybe I'm wrong, but the assets to make her into a vendor, I assume aren't that simple that in just a few weeks they can just throw her, you know, make that happen. I suspect there had to be some kind of under pinning, you know, under, you know, design for that. Uh, maybe, but I could be wrong. Um, when it comes to the other NPCs, I think your point about Manny standing up there by the DZ um, NPC is really interesting. I didn't really think about that, but it is kind of convenient. He definitely looks like he's just waiting for a prompt uh, above his head to talk to him. And uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely possible. Maybe my idea about these, these excursions maybe, or even the Pentagon or even this first DLC that we don't know the outskirts that we don't know much about. Maybe that's going to be a place that we go and talk to him and get missions or get, you know, activities or something. Uh, but yeah, I think I definitely don't think the Anaya thing is, new i think that was planned and i absolutely think that your idea there about the other npcs being utilized uh, is absolutely possible uh okay and then now so we'll uh, do a little some content updates uh so i'm gonna try as hopefully you could tell in this podcast to focus more on game related discussions and staying away from the quote-unquote community drama as a main topic um uh, and maybe just kind of include it as little bits of division news, kind of like how I talked about the dropping Twitch viewership. Um, it's, it's really kind of a drag for me. Uh, and you know, I kind of took this week off, uh, because I was just kind of feeling kind of overwhelmed and kind of annoyed 
Um, and I figured that there's lots of reasons for it that aren't in my control, but ones that are um, in control, like always focusing on it and stuff, the, the drama and so on. Uh, it's just a drag. It's boring. It's not, it's not fun or interesting or really to talk about. It's just, uh, so I'm gonna try to stay away from it for the most part. There may be exceptions, uh, but you know, for the most part, I'm gonna try to just focus on the game because there's plenty to talk about. Uh, I also uh, am gonna try to get more into the Intel Insights. I recorded three of them last week. Uh, two of them are already out on my YouTube. Um, you can find me on there as Bond Diesel. Um, and I have one more coming out, I believe, on Tuesday uh, for about the division. And then. Uh, in the background, I'm working on a longer form review of Division 2, uh, and I want to kind of make the, the review specifically from uh, the perspective of a, a a huge fan, a fanboy, someone who's been treated really well by the, the devs and the, and the community managers, and like kind of a, like, I know I'm biased review um, to kind of give that perspective. So uh, I'm kind of working on that, um, and, and that's that's about it. So, uh, if you want to support the podcast, like I said at the beginning, I do have a Patreon. There's some deals going on with that, and there's some really cool rewards to it, um, including this podcast a couple days early. I'm going to start releasing the podcast uh, for free for everyone on Mondays uh, and putting it on the Patreon um, immediately, so typically on Saturdays. If you want that little bit of a head start, uh, I hope that's not too much. You know, If you have feedback about that, please let me know, but I don't think it's that bad. Uh, from my numbers, from the stats, most of you listen during the week anyways. Um, but that is on Patreon. Uh, you can look up The Echo Cast on Patreon. Uh, if you like the podcast, please follow on whatever platform that you are using. Uh, if you're on iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast and leave a review. Uh, if you check the podcast out on YouTube and you want to see more, please sub the channel, like the video, and comment below. Uh, I had lots of things in there uh, in this podcast if you want to be heard or give your opinion. I'd be happy to hear it. Uh, I am on Twitch where I stream multiple times a week and on Twitter, both as Bond Diesel, where you can find some other content links as well. And uh, that's what I have this week. So until next time. I'm gonna go